tell the damn story, the podcast that celebrates the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully along the way, helps you decide how you want to tell your damn story. Today, we're going to talk about uh, creative usage of character. And doing that is me, Chris Ryan, a former journalist, longtime teacher, and an independent author now beginning is to be traditionally published. Uh, first official of that will be coming next month with the Buchacan Anthology, yes. where uh, I'm there with no less a personage than, um, <clears throat> oh man, Walter Mosley is in there. He just yes. got named to one of the world's biggest awards for writers. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And with me, as always, is the legendary comic book scribing, iconic teenage detectives writing, great underused character developing, and globe-trotting creator of the world-renowned Blackjack, the African-American soldier of fortune set in the 1930s, whose adventures reflect today's problems. We, of course, are talking about the one, the only... Alex Simmons. Good afternoon, Mr. Simmons. Thank you, thank you. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Ryan. How art thou? Well, I got I got my football mug today. I'm kind of sporting some Minnesota Vikings because the NFL is back. Ah. As is required of all things 2020, it's back in a really weird way. But, you know, <laughs> hey. I didn't think you could play football, you know, on Zoom, you know? I think it's really yeah, interesting well, it's, watching them run. These little boxes are slamming into each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, I saw I, a really funny I don't uh, have Zoom NFL thing. Cup. I have a coffee mug with an old Donald Duck character. Uh, well, you can't see it because my, my special effects is blocking, blocking it out. But there it, it is. Donald. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Donald. Donald. It was really cool. Just for a, for a second there, you had an invisible man mug, which, <laughs> which is, which is uh, the outline uh, of a mug. There you go. Hand. Yes, you know, that's, that's good. Me and H.G. Wells here, you know. There you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, and we're talking about good storytelling today, aren't we? Uh, and powers, in a way. At, at first, we're going to talk about um, a, a technique that didn't age well. You know, <laughs> so it's kind of a, hey don't do this and then we're going to transition to do this yeah. so there you go and, and we uh, may have a little point and counterpoint there just just so that like we can mess with you or at least i can mess with you guys a bit so but anyway let's 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 go at it chris well let's let's talk uh you have a tale about the legendary bill mckay um and this and we is can't no knock. Mention, we can't mention the book that he was on. I can only no, mention we can't, the story. We can't, we can't. But this is no knock on the master storyteller. No. It's just something that worked at the time that doesn't work anymore and actually has a, a term that is used. Yes. So you tell uh, Bill McKay and then we'll so, use the so term. Here, here we go. Here's the reality here. Um, uh, my buddy, who's a great writer and who taught me a lot about editing and all that good stuff, came up with an idea for revamping an old mystery series um, that at the time the publishers were saying, we need to bring it into this era. It was the 80s at the time. Need to bring it into the 80s and, you know, what would you do, what would you do, what would you do? And so he basically came up with revamping this series by destroying a popular vehicle 
that the two lead characters have been known to ride around in for decades. And, and as if that wasn't enough, let's also kill off the girlfriend, you know, in a very, you know, explosive way. And, and it was, it shook the walls a bit, but finally they said, you know what? Okay, let's try it. And they did. And it set the tone for that series. Now I will, I will add this, that as I say this, and as I was talking to my co-hosts here, um, just prior to the show, uh, what went through my head is all of the reboots of various comics and films and certain novel series over the past 10 years that did something similar. Um, but that's why I said I'm going to mess with you guys, because sometimes people do come to, how do we, how do we punch up an, an old project and so that it's, it's for today, quote unquote, today. And, and that's, and that's what, where it got its term uh, because the breaking point came, uh, I guess this was in the 90s. I don't know. I'm not that great with uh, which decade and all that. But um, at the time, Kyle, Kyle Rayner was the Green Lantern, and they wanted to boost up sales and do something dramatic. So they took the love of his life. I think they may have raped her. I don't know. But they murdered her and stuck her in a fridge. And that's where Kyle found her. And, uh, you know, they, like you said, there was so many times when the damsel in distress was, uh, yeah. you know, even even in the killing joke, you know, they raped and cri crippled Barbara Gordon as yeah. part of, you know, to advance the story for the male character. Well, when it happened in the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern series, the reaction was different than in previous, you know, uh, incarnation of this uh, trope, you know. Yeah. The world the explosion. Yeah, the world had changed, thank God. And um, there was an explosion of this is sexist and, you know, you don't exploit the female character to, you know, to advance the story of the male character. And it became known as uh, being Kyle Raynard. And um, is, is yeah, that easier? Do you think that's an easier phrase for them to use than to say Dr. Light? Because that's what had happened in the Justice League. You know, Ralph Digby's wife, Elongated Man's wife, was, was attacked and raped by Dr. Light. And then eventually the members of, certain members of the Justice League took revenge on him <clears throat> in a very, in, I think they killed him. Oh, no, they lobotomized him. They lobotomized him. And they, they had to live with all that. And then it became, no. yes. I think it was that the Rainer thing happened when society had come to a, um, a point where it was no longer willing. Uh, that was enough. Uh, uh, yeah, and there were more women in, in positions or with platforms to speak out. And um, they really had their voices heard or made their voices heard. And that's why it became known as Kyle Raynard. But, you, you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to understand and to uh, agree with why you don't, you know, it, it's, it hopefully spells the end of the damsel in distress, you know, where the, the woman is just something to uh, raise the stakes, you know, well, it's, it's, it's actually, it's abusing the woman becomes something that they do. It is. Race escape. Well, I mean, yeah, even 
Lois Lane for four or five decades. You know, intrepid reporter though she was, she was always been, you know, she was dangled over the volcano or whatever the hell it was, you know. <laughs> um, you know, the famous uh, death of Gwen Stacy, you know, Goblin gives them the two choices, you know, you know and, 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 and trying to save it, you know, then, then we have this whole other episode about whether he saved her or snapped her neck. That's neither here nor there. But it's on and on and on. Margot Lane, you know, is the shadow. I would say Margot, every episode. Way back in the 30s. Yeah, every episode. And but certain emotionally torturous situations, you know? I mean, it's like really malicious, sadistic stuff. And then the guy comes in before he saves her. Yeah, but, uh, you know, again, this was, these were decades, decades, and decades where... The, the female characters were not given the same respect and thoughtfulness. You know, they were just vehicles. You know, to a, a certain author's credit, uh, he has refused to let Blackjack's sister be used the same way. Thank you. you know, so, and, and, you know, and, this, and to go back to the 30s again before we come back modern, uh, it was very, very rare that Pat Savage was put into a damsel in distress because Pat could kick some serious ass mm. and Doc would, you know. It was Doc who was weird. <laughs> he was not raised around women, so you know, Pat and every other woman, he, my, the shading of my hair is getting weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately. The man's looking at his mustache. I'm looking at the here, folks. That's just, well, I didn't know whether it was a mustache or, you know, <clears throat> Yeah, boogers, but it's not. It's just I'm going gray. What do you want me to do? Um, but you know, Doc had, had kind of a difficulty with women because he was never given any exposure to them and didn't know how to talk to them. But that wasn't exploiting him. It was making him interesting. So again, so anyway, we got up to the uh, Kyle Kyle Raynard, and um, you know there. In most cases, because it's not perfect yet, uh, women have more agency or or sometimes as much or more agency than the male counterparts. I would go to um, Brian K. K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples' uh, excellent series Saga, and the the female lead has a, uh, as much or probably more on the ball than the male lead, mm. you know, and um, it just seems very organic to me as, as sci-fi and fantasy oriented as that uh, series is, the characters are what ring so true about it, you know? Well, I think, um, I think and, you just said something there, <clears throat> pardon me, you just said something there in terms about characters ringing true. I think that's one of the levels that, or one of the platforms that, that you, myself, Don McGregor, a few other people that I know tend to stand on, <clears throat> pardon me, is being true to the nature of an individual character. And if the nature of the female character we're dealing with is, I ain't taking that, then we don't force her to. She takes her proper position in the story. And you can up the stakes and, and put more stuff up against her and send more danger at her, but you're not going to use that to then set up the guy to come in to save her every time. In many situations, she's going to have to get out of that on her own. And that is what makes it even more interesting at times is 
how, if she's not this, but she's that, how does she use that right. to get through this? You know, it becomes, it gives you more depth to the story, more directions to explore. And, and while I hope you'll forgive me for this, but we didn't mention her before, uh, you know, while we pre-planning, but um, I'm teaching a graphic novel course this year. So I spent a lot of time this summer going over very, you know, the, the more modern stuff, not, you know, Bronze Age, because, you know, right. I wanted to get some of those a little more modern. And um, probably read about four or five trade paperbacks of the current Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. <clears throat> and I'm just so delighted that this character exists now she's she's in the new avengers uh game and she's a delight in there so i hear i'm uh, game deficient but um in the in in the trades that i read there, there was a series and then you know marvel ended the universe and then brought it back because that's what comic book companies do and then it all started <laughs> over again right um there was uh, there's a great authenticity about Kamala Khan um, in that she's very much from Jersey City, where she's based, you know, and, and uh, she has, you know, she has the, the social media down, she has the friends, and then she becomes almost uh, the same kind of situation in the first series. Uh, that Peter Parker had when he first became Superman is that I can't, you know, I can't let the family Peter know. Peter Parker, you mean Spider-Man, right? Spider-Man, he could never tell Aunt May because, you know, yeah. her heart couldn't take it, you know. But for Kamala Khan, she couldn't tell her parents or her brother or even her best girlfriend, you know, friend who happens to be a girl, because they were all Muslim. And this is not, you know, this is not what she was raised to do. And, you know, and then once they start finding out, you know, or once the coincidences of when she's gone start, you know, and she Adding gets grounded, yeah. and she gets sent to talk to the um, the, the their their temples or uh, mosques uh, um, religious Clarity. leader, and um, it's wonderful. And of course, the mom eventually figures it out, and then that conversation. So you have culture, you have friend level you have the social media level you have this frenetic positivity there is an innocence about her and an excitement to be able to do all these things that she can do that honestly the last time i saw that was in the ditko or or the early uh Ushima. Uh, um, Spider-Man runs, you know, and th there's, she has complete agency and figures out what she has to do by being progressively more creative and more uh, in control of the power she has. And, you know, the, the creators of Marvel based her on a Muslim uh, employee there and it's wonderful that they have a first-hand reference mm -hmm. to make sure they're getting that part right. But then there's this freedom of mixing these different powers. She doesn't have the powers that Carol Danvers had, you know. But word starts getting out about her, you know. 
uh, Wolverine bumps into her. And apparently, you never see it, but apparently when he goes back, he spreads the word, this kid's got potential and all that stuff. And right when that apocalypse is happening, you know, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, you know, everyone is going to do something before the world ends, you know, before time runs out. And um, there's an issue in Miss Marvel where she comes to hang out with the kid, you know, and there's this admiration that Carol Danvers has as the now almost grizzled veteran, you know, uh, for the purity of who Kamala Khan is, who this Miss mm-hmm. Marvel is. And that's a great example of what we're talking about today, about studying a character in all its aspects, you know, in, um, it, the environment, the way environment, it affects the way culture affects, the way gender affects, the way school affects, all of those things, you know, that's how you create a great character. And I thought it would be useful since we were talking about the Kyle Raynard of it all to give an example of where it works really well and very organically. So uh, you're looking to see how to do that. You know, uh, you can go to the library and get those if you can't afford to pick up the trade paperbacks. But I'm telling you, it's worth the dollars if you can afford it. Miss Marvel is a great study of how to do a, a modern character correctly. And especially in, in comics, too, because there's... Uh... There's, it's still testosterone heavy in a lot of ways, and and you know, my heart goes out to you guys. A, a lot of you are approaching the, the creative process from what you know, where you're coming from, and even many without the benefit of having some sort of creative mentor, you know, someone in your life who's who's teaching you either in school or after school or through some online program or whatever is guiding you in what is it like to create characters and situations and try to be true to those things and tell good stories. So I know a lot of you are just finding your way in the dark, and that's, you know, that's what you do. That's what a lot of us have done. But I think, again, yes, yeah, study the material that's out there and become more familiar and aware of how others are handling subject matters these days that may not be what you've lived but are part of the kind of stories you want to tell. Right. So again, I would recommend the Ms. Marvel. Yeah. But I would, before you do I, that, I want to find out: Are you thinking? Because I know one of when we, what started this line of thought for us was an article that you saw, and so I just want to know: Are we are we moving towards that now, or do you have something else? I, that's no. the transition that I'm about to do. There Here you go. go. Okay, look at that. Please. So you know, as as much as we're talking about how to do a modern character well. To really see how how, uh, nuance can be, you can find fresh nuance with well, well established characters. We have two, Uh, the two most established (laughs) (laughs) characters in Uh, Superman and Batman. And there's a, a recent, relatively recent story in each that shows a great nuance that wasn't capitalized before but shows another dimension and and, and 
adds to the mythos. So why don't you talk about soups, and then I'll talk about <laughs> bats. Okay. Um, one, I will, I will start off by saying that, you know, Chris and I are always talking about characters, knowing your characters, really really figuring out who they are as, as people or as the entities they are, because sometimes characters are not necessarily humans or something else. But really knowing them and knowing their history, knowing how they react in as many situations as possible, because it, it informs your writing and it informs where you can go with these characters and how they'll respond. And so Superman, for the, for the I mean, like for almost forever, Superman was supposedly the the light. He was he was the good guy with who 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 took on the responsibilities of the powers that he had. How he learned that, where he learned that depends on what era you were introduced to him. But the line that Peter Parker, you know, that resonates in his head about with great powers come great responsibility. Soup knew this. Soup was taught this, and he's lived this. All right. So for Superman, one of the things that you know he's really about is not taking life. You know, he's, he's been very much about preserving life and justice and that sort of thing. And there have been a few occasions where they've done stories with him where he's crossed a line. Uh, there's one with the Phantom Zone years ago where the supervillains were, were Kryptonians and they were devastating the world and he didn't see any other way out. And so he, he basically banned them to the Phantom Zone and it was like killing them. And he, he lived with that for 12 issues. It was a year-long... Uh, psychological pressure that he dealt with because he felt like he had he had taken lives. He had he had not been able to find another way out of it. So one of the things that came up is I believe this is Superman Birthright. This is a story that came out 2003, according to what I was reading, and it was written by Mark Wade. And my my respects to the artist who worked on it, uh, but I'm not going to embarrass myself or or offend you guys by misspelling your last names. So, it's two, so look it up, folks. Superman Birthrights, 2003. Uh, Mark Way was the, was the writer and two wonderful artists on it. But the storyline is that there is, um, you know, for lack of a better phrase, there's a, an, there's a male jerk who uh, opens fire and almost kills a little girl in this public situation. And, you know, the girl is, is it's just it's, Superman's there and, you know, she doesn't die, but he's furious. He's furious about this. And... His way of getting the point across to this gunman, who's not a crook, you know, this is not somebody who was doing a robbery, but this is this idiot who, who just did a really stupid and careless and almost deadly thing. His way of getting, he takes up the gun as he's speaking to this gentleman, he takes up the who gun. Does? Excuse me? Who does? Who Super, does? Superman picks up the gun out of several that are there. And as he's speaking to this man, you know, in what would normally be a situation where he, preaches to or he tries to straighten this person out or he leaves him with a moral he's talking to the guy about how this is absolutely the wrong thing and he fires at him shoots right at him bullet comes out the chamber there's no blank real bullet right out the gun aimed at the guy and the guy is freaking because this bullet's coming right at him and the next millisecond superman's holding the bullet inches away from this man's face and his line, the line, the writing of this line is, Mark, if you never wrote anything else well before, this is the line. He, he says to the guy that the girl is going to have to live with that image of that bullet almost taking her life for the rest of her That'd life, be. right? Hmm? Excuse me? The fear of that, right? Right, right? And he says to the man, as he's holding the bullet in front of his face, now you will too. Yeah. 
So he fires at the man, and obviously because he's got super speed, he's Superman, gets there and catches the bullet, but holds it in position. So this man is locked in on the image that for a split second, he'd face mortality because of something that could have been prevented had he not been there or the gun not been there in his hands and what he did. And I think, you know, there are ways that you tell great stories that resonate at one particular time in history, 2003, but I think resonates even more now. Now. I think, you know, all the things that are going on now, this this thing reverberates on a whole nother level. Go ahead. Well, and you can, and I, I can't speak for Mark Wade, you know, but um, one of the things that really, really struck me as, as how use, useful and how great that was, was that, you know, for our entire lives, we know one of the things about Superman is faster than a speeding bullet. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no one has ever, you know, really applied it in this particular way. You know, so that's the or if they have, we don't know about it. But yeah, yeah, this one's well, yeah. I mean, I mean, he uh, sure Superman has jumped in front of bullets, has you know blocked bullets, has done all that sort of stuff. But to fire a weapon and then be quicker than it and catch it from behind, reach over and right. catch it in front of the guy's face to make a specific point, right? Mm-hmm. The reason uh, it resonated so much for me is one, while a lesson almost a little dark for what is a character of sunlight, you know, but also only Superman knew that guy was never in danger, right? That guy was sure he was dead. Yep. So he did get to have that experience, you know, Superman forced that death experience that the poor girl fought, uh, mm-hmm. and he did it. You know, Wade came up with it based on a, a phrase of, uh, you know, that early, was that late 50s a TV show? Oh, right? yeah, George Reeves. Right, yeah. right? I mean, that's how long that has been in the uh, uh, cultural environment, you know, cultural air, that it's immediately recognizable. And then it's also, it, you, you find new depth to it. And if you can do that, and, and the way you do that, again, is by knowing your character, knowing your character, knowing your character. And if you're, if you're creating your own characters, you know, the, the idea of doing the character bio where you ask a million questions about your character and give serious thought to it and get to know and walk around and live with your character and watch a football game with your character, take the <laughs> character to shop, right? Whatever, you know, this, the more you know, the nuances, the more you can pull out the rich stuff, and Wade did a great job there. Uh, we have one more example for today, and this is from a 2019's uh, ba- uh, Detective Comics number 1000, right? The deluxe edition that had a bunch of eight-page stories in it. Right? <laughs> so um, Kevin Smith wrote, and Jim Lee did the pencils, Scott Williams did the inks, Alex Sinclair colors, and Todd Klein did the letters of a really short piece called Manufacture for Use. And um, <laughs> Smith utilizes the character of Matches Malone, which is a nuance in itself because you really don't see Matches Malone that much in the last 20 or 30 years, 
But in the 70s and 80s, Mattress Malone was one of Batman or Bruce Wayne, I guess Batman's disguises yeah. when he wanted to go and get information from the underworld. He had established himself as this, you know, half-assed gangster, you know, who had some connections, and then he would get information, and, and, and you know, Mattress is still there, and once in a while he disappears, and he may or may not have gone to prison and all that sort of stuff, but he's used them, you know, so Smith uses them, and he's going into this uh, word-of-mouth store. You know, the guy has a business up front, but in the back, he sells Gotham crime memorabilia. You know, so if you want, you know, a used exploding umbrella or, you know, a um, some kind of question mark that the Riddler threw at somebody, when you go to right. this place, you get that. So uh, Matches Malone has been in there making a very special request, you know, and uh, the guy has it for him. What Malone wants to buy is the gun, the very gun that killed Thomas and Martha Wade. And uh, this guy's like, hey, if, if guns are your thing, this is the gun for you know Gotham crime. And he says, I'm asking for about a thousand. You know, matches throws him fifteen hundred. I was never here, kind of thing. So then we see uh, the, there we switch to the Batcave, and Batman is there with Alfred, and Alfred, of course. You know, he's the great um, foil for Batman's thinking or Bruce Wayne's thinking. How could you buy such a thing and all that stuff? And he's, Batman, as always, is working on something we can't quite see yet. And then we see that it's a tremendous, tremendously hot surface of some kind. And uh, he takes the a gun and he puts it in there as, you know, he I'll melts it down. Kind of give him more time. He melts it down, but not only does he melt it down so that it can never fire on anyone else, Smith has him make a chest plate out of it that Batman wears under the big bat signal. The thing that broke his heart will now protect his heart and can never break anyone else's heart. It's a really Kevin Smith kind of thing to do you know, to have that sentimentality and all that stuff. And I mean that as a compliment. But it also shows a mastery of the character, uh, 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 an awareness of the nuance and what hasn't been done that we could add to the mythos. So now forevermore, part of the myth is that, you know, Batman wears this chest protector made from the gun that killed his parents and really created Batman. Yeah, that <clears throat> sorry, that's an example in my eyes anyway of utilizing nuance of character to 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 mine fresh gold, fresh diamonds from a character that has been around since I was nineteen. God, was it nineteen thirty one, thirty two? What Batman? 30, 30, 38 or thirty nine? Thirty eight or thirty nine? Excuse me. Yeah, yeah I overaged him, but you know he's over eighty years old as a character. Pretty good, doesn't he? He looks good. Well, you know, it's the exercise. Yeah, that's um, true. And it's all the sandwiches that he doesn't eat that Alfred eats <laughs> for him. Um, yeah. Moisture in the cave. But, yeah. But, but being able to do this, you know, 
I saw another uh, little thing last night. You know, Instagram is great for those little panels that you missed somewhere. Mm-hmm. So Green Lantern is coming over to talk to Batman. I had no idea where this showed up. But uh, <laughs> he, he enters the conversation with Batman, who's waiting for him. Uh, Dinosaur Island? Batman responds, I love dinosaurs. And <laughs> Green Lantern responds with, Batman loves dinosaurs? He says, yeah, I have one in my cave. <laughs> and, you know, Landon goes, of course you do. You need a cave, right? And it's just that one little, you know, nuance. That they were going to be here. You can have this character moment, you know. And it, it, those kind of things make all the difference, you know. And uh, I, I'll, we, give you, I'll give you one oh. out of my, my history, and I can talk about all of it because, you know, I'm, I'm weird like that. Uh, I was working on a series. Um, actually, I can't talk about all of it. I was working on a series uh-huh. about a girl detective whose father is a lawyer. Okay, and the series has been around for quite some time, and they were constantly changing, without thinking about it, her father's legal expertise. They would just change it to suit whatever the plot of the next story was. So this guy went from literally from being doing wills and 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 legal documents for businesses to corporate law to murder. You know, it's just like I'm going, guys, this is this is insane. You know, it just it just reads sloppy when you look at the greater breadth of the works. I said, why don't you? I mean, he's an older dude. Why don't you just give him a small law firm? He's a senior lawyer. He's he's a, a wise, clever man, but he's got several juniors who have certain specialties, and they can bring some of their problems to him. They can bring some of their clients to him, and they can be discussing one of their clients' problems with him. And then his daughter, the detective, winds up getting involved in it. I said that makes so much more sense than flip-flopping this man all over the width and breadth of the legal universe. And it was like, it was, I mean, to me, it was just a logical thing. It was not a big deal. It was, it was a logical thought. But it was one of those moments where they went, oh. Because up until that point, they just, they just, you know, plug and play, plug and play, plug and play. And I think sometimes you have to step back as the writer or as the editor, as the creative, step back and take a look at the landscape and say, how can I refresh the landscape? Or like you were saying, where are those nuances that I can pull and plumb now and then to add some fresh color or life or depth to the experience? Well, you know, it's what you're what you're describing is as you know, we modernize our, our expectations and raise our, raise the bar for what we expect in storytelling. Those kind of catch-alls, you know, that kind of what you were saying, sloppy or convenient storytelling. Um, it opens itself for mockery, you know, and um, uh, a friend of yours, Christopher Golden, uh, one of the guys I like to read, Brian K, uh, Keen, excuse me, Brian Keen, they do a, um, a Bronze Age celebration type of podcast called Defenders Dialogue. Defenders Dialogue? Okay, yeah. Defenders Dialogue. <laughs> and uh, while they're big fans of all the characters and they're big fans of, like, Son of Satan, they did find it really hilarious that his, you know, his Hellspawn uh, 
or his nether trident, I think is what it was called, could do anything it needed to do. You know, and then they were doing, they were going, they go through different runs of different, you know, they did defenders and all this stuff. But they were recently doing um, uh, the Marvel Villains team up. Remember that series? And then it was usually Dr. Doom and Sub, uh, Submariner, name of the Submariner. And uh, one of the things they kept saying is, and of course, Dr. Doom's armor can do whatever he needs it to do. <laughs> <laughs> in that particular given situation. And it never fails to get a giggle, you know, because it's so convenient and that it becomes trite, you know? So we want to be careful about that. And one of the things that that works is when you, you know, a Robert McKee said, paint your characters into a corner, mm-hmm. you know, an impossible corner, and then watch them work their way out, you know? And while all this you know, uh, the the nether trident was solving all the problems or Doom's uh, armor was solving all his problems, Spider-Man would regularly run out of web fluid, you know, and be <laughs> falling to his death, right? Yep. And it was always so much more satisfactory or satisfying to read that limitation and see him get out of it, you know? And you knew he was going to get out of it, but, mm-hmm. you know, to see what, it, what happened. Um, to go back to Batman for a moment, you know, there's that great Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill uh, uh, story. Well, there was a couple of stories when they had Ra's al Ghul. Well, there was one where his um, Ra's bodyguard kept pushing Abu. Batman back. Yeah. Abu, yeah. And, yeah. and Batman would, would count. That's one. That's two now. And in the third one, he just knocked Abu out. You know, and he, at the whole time he was in control, and you believed that because as he was punching him, you know, Denny had him right. You know, this is your weakness, that is your poop, and down he goes. You know, satisfying moment. You know, um, once in a while, you, I don't know who did this moment, but it was really satisfying. Um, in Justice League International, I think it was. Uh, Guy Gardner was mouthing off to Batman about how superior he was, and Batman walked up to him and knocked him out with one punch. <laughs> one punch, right? But but because there's been so much setup, you believe it. You believe it, you know? Um, that's all about knowing and establishing the nuances of the characters, you know? Um, if you had to say, well, if walking up to Guy Gardner, if Batman was forced to, to establish or narration boxes was forced to establish, you know, Batman uh, uh, trained with uh, martial artists and Wildcat to become a great puncher, then it destroys the moment. But yeah. if you have that backstory, then you can have those great organic moments. And, and one of the keys to great storytelling is nuance and organic storytelling and that's all comes back down to as everything does serve the story know the character serve the story know the character that's how you tell the damn story (laughs) (laughs) and we have and we have today we've told a damn story Uh, you know again folks when we look at the things that we love to read or the films that we love to watch um 
we learn from them. You know, there's, I don't, I personally don't think up until, you know, my lights go out, I don't think there's a day goes by when I cannot learn something and grow from that. I think that's something to strive for. So as writers or illustrators or dancers or any other kind of creative, as human beings, getting better at what we do, becoming, you know, more informed, I think is a, is a, a decent goal. Of course, I'm talking about becoming a decent human being, but that's another discussion. But I, I think that absolutely um, we've learned from comics, we've learned from movies, we've learned from TV series, we've learned from the old. You know, as a matter of fact, I'll just say this very quickly, and then uh, we, we can do our, our, our sort of song and dance out of here. Um, I was listening to an old radio show just yesterday as I was working on something, and it was an episode of Superman, and it was one where Superman, the old radio shows from the 40s, and it's one where Superman, Batman, and Robin teamed up. And Robin's gone missing. He's in danger and all that. And at the end of the episode, there's a whole speech where uh, some organization, the Anti-Defamation League, is giving an award to the Superman radio show for being about fair play and diversity and respect, in particular among um, Christians and Jews. And that's exactly how it's phrased. And... They talk about this is what America's about and all that. And then, of course, the actor Bud Collier as Superman comes on and he speaks. And I'm saying, you know, one could, if they just heard this uh, moment, they would say, oh, okay, there they are plugging this, that particular episode. But then you have to actually take a look at a number of the other episodes at that era. And in particular, the storyline they did, which went on for several weeks, where he went up against an organization that was very much like the KKK. And you realize that in the 1940s, things that were being said on that show, and as, as part of the show's effect on the public, and as part of the character, and what he represented, was all about fairness, diversity, treating people, no matter what they are, religiously, racially, gender-wise, as decent human beings, was actually a part of the overall theme, whether everybody involved in it believed in it or not is a whole other thing. But it was part of what they were presenting to the kids of America at that time through this character. And it's an interesting thing to look at where we are now and to listen to that being played. And I go, okay, yeah, you know what? Yeah, it, they believed it, someone, someone believed it then and it's worth believing now. And, in, and using characters like this to stand for something that's of value is still worth it. So we're all, we're, in some ways we're in the same place, but in some ways that's reaffirming. To me, it's the fight still on. You know, it's still about staying true to the characters' natures and at the same time trying to, to, to point out where, where the world is and maybe hoping to make it a better place. But that's where I, that's where I am. That's where I am with all that. I agree. I agree. I agree. So we hope that there's a lot of you out there that are using the same kind of uh, qualities and the same kind of temperament. Tell your damn story. That's what this is all about, isn't it? And let's keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Okay. Chris, as always, a pleasure. Peace, my brother. Yeah. Same to everybody out there. And we'll see. Oh, by the way, you know, as always, please let us know what you're thinking, what you want to hear us talking about, all that good stuff. 
and we'll be here next you know, episode. They could give us examples that we missed. Maybe there's some favorite scenes that they say, oh, look at this. This was. You great. know what? I'm going to go to Facebook. I'm going to go to our gathering on Facebook. Folks, start dropping in and tell the damn story on the Facebook page. And I'm going to be coming after you for it, whether you volunteer or not. So you might as well just volunteer. <laughs> Let's hear what you have to say. Chris, see you All next right. episode. Everybody take care. Be well. Have a good Thanks. one, man.